This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Grab your Bibles, turn to the book of Matthew this morning. We're continuing our series entitled Sure and Steadfast. It's our theme uh, for this year. We'll be uh, taking a look at what the Bible has to say about hope uh, over the next several weeks. If you missed any of the message so far, you can always get caught up on our website at huikala.church. You can also subscribe to our podcast, or I highly encourage you, if you don't yet have the Huikala app, you should download that. On the Huikala app, you can actually take a look at today's message. Uh, click on the link for today's message, and it'll open up a, a, a a place where it says fill in notes. If you click that, it'll open up a web browser. It allows you to take notes today. Everything we're going to cover here today is going to be found in the fill in notes there. All the verses that we'll talk about uh, are, are available there. So whether you want to do that or you just want to jot down some thoughts uh, on, on a sheet of paper, uh, keep good notes because I believe today's message will be helpful for you. We've been taking a look over the last several weeks at what the Bible says about hope. And when we talk about hope, we're not talking about a wish or something we hope will come to pass. When we talk about hope, we're talking about a confident expectation, something we can put our faith and trust in. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews, which is our theme verse for this year, that Jesus Christ is an anchor for our soul, sure and steadfast hope that we have in Christ. And so Jesus Christ is somewhere we can anchor and find hope and encouragement every single day. And uh, I've entitled today's message, Hope of a Well-Lived Life. We have a, a familiar parable that Jesus is going to tell uh, for us today. We'll take a look at that today in Matthew chapter 25. We're going to start in verse number 14. Matthew chapter 25, verse number 14. For the kingdom of heaven is as a man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents and another two and another one to every man according to his several ability. And straightway he took his journey, and then he that had received five talents went and traded the same, and made them other five talents. Likewise, he that had received two also gained other two. But he that had received one went and digged in the earth and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants cometh and reckoneth with them. So he that had received the five talents came and brought other five talents, saying, Lord, thou deliverest unto me five talents. Behold, I have gained beside them five talents more. His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. He also that had received two talents came and said, Lord, thou deliverest unto me two talents. Behold, I gained two other talents beside them. His Lord said unto him, Well done. Good and faithful servant, thou hast been faithful over a few things, I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Then he which had received one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown, and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid, and went and hid thy talent in the earth. Lo, and there thou hast, is, that is thine. And the Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant, thou knewest that I reap where I sowed not, and gather where I have not strawed. Thou oughtest therefore have, have put my money to the exchangers, and then at my coming I should have received mine own with usury. 
Take therefore the talent from him and give it unto him which hath ten talents. For unto everyone that hath shall be given, and he that shall have abundance. But him that hath not shall be taken away even that which he hath. Cast ye the unprofitable servant into outer darkness, where there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And the Son of Man shall come in his glory with all the holy angels with him. And then he shall sit upon the throne of his glory. And behold, before him shall be gathered all nations. He shall separate one from the other. The shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them in his right hand, Come ye, blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you but until the foundation of the world. Remember when I was in the, the Navy, uh, I joined the Navy right out of high school, did six years in the Navy, and uh, I remember my very first time at my first duty station understanding uh, the evaluation process, or is it sometimes referred to as eval time. And basically, you get to, together with uh, your supervisor, and you put together a list of all the things that you have done well, and you leave out all the things that you have done poorly, and you try to paint a picture of how valuable of an asset you are to the team. And then you're graded in certain categories and uh, things along those lines, but whether it be uh, four points or five points in these areas, then with that, they come up and figure out how you rank amongst everyone else. But the idea was this, is that you at some point will be held accountable for your performance. Now, again, the performance evaluation system was a little bit flawed because we leave out all the things that you did poorly and we uh, elevate all the things that you did really well to try to paint a picture of how good and valuable you actually are. It's important to note that when it comes to God, there will one day come a time of evaluation of your life. Unfortunately, at that time, you will not have the luxury of leaving out the things that you did poorly only to play up the things that you've done well. The Bible says every single thing that you and I do will be measured accordingly. As we look at today's text this morning, we see the master, which is Jesus Christ, speaking in terms of eternity. If you take a look at verse number 14, it starts off with, and so is the kingdom of heaven. It's talking about eternity. The problem is you and I many times don't like to think about things that are long-term. Uh, many times people make short-term decisions. Uh, for example, I remember uh, during the... Uh, uh, beginning of stages of the pandemic, uh, Dodge was running a really good sale on their Dodge Charger. No, on the Challengers. The Challengers, the two-door. Uh, the RT with the, the Hemi engine in it. Uh, they were running these really good deals on them, trying to get rid of all their inventory. And so uh, I just, for fun, went online to see what something like that would cost. And I thought to myself, there's no way in the world I'll ever pay $80,000 for a car, okay, first of all. But then they had attractive financing. Is what they use in quotes, attractive financing options. It's like, hmm, let's take a look at that and see what the attractive financing options were. And I forget what the monthly payment was, but it was, it was incredibly high. Uh, I've never had a car payment in the last you know, 10 years, and so anything, a uh, dollar a month would be high for me. And so I'm looking at that and go, oh, that's kind of high, but then I begin to look at the terms of the agreement, and the terms were you could finance this vehicle not for five years, not for seven years, but for 10 years. And I thought to myself, heavens, would somebody really buy this car and make that kind of monthly payment for 10 years? And the answer to that is absolutely yes, people would do that. Why? Because they don't think long term. 
It's short-term thinking, isn't it? I remember when Angela and I first got married, we were broke. We didn't have money to do anything. Uh, I, I spent my money very poorly, and I didn't know how to budget. Even when we got married, I had a couple hundred dollars in, in my checking account. I had zero dollars in savings. We didn't have a budget. We didn't have a plan. I didn't know what was coming in, what was going. We were just really, really poor with our finances. And I remember uh, we had gone to the Navy Exchange. We'd just gotten uh, married, and, and we walked into the Navy Exchange there, and I saw a television there. There was a really nice big screen TV at the time. They didn't have flat screens back then. It was a big screen TV, though, right? I think it was probably 36 inches, which would have been big at the time, right? And so I remember thinking to myself, I'd love to have that TV, but I can't afford it. But... I can afford $25 a month, right? Like, and that's a little sign on there. Yeah. Finance now, $25 a month. I can, I can afford $25 a month. For how long is the question, though? That's short-term thinking, isn't it? Unfortunately, many times when it comes to life, you and I think about what's going to make me happy this week? What's going to make me happy 90 days from now? But we never stop for a split second to think to ourselves, what's going to make me happy the day that I stand before Jesus? requires a perspective shift for most of us. I got to start thinking not in terms of what do I want this week, but what do I want in eternity? And that's what Jesus is calling us to today because there's coming a day of accountability for us. As we take a look at our text this morning in verse number 14, since for the kingdom of heaven is this man traveling into a far country who called unto his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. We see that the master is Jesus and he is away for a brief period of time. The fact of the matter is this, Jesus Christ is our master. He's gone away. He ascended into heaven 2,000 years ago. And he says that he's coming back one day very, very soon. Now, again, you might say, well, 2,000 years isn't very soon. Well, the Bible say that says that 1,000 years is a day with the Lord and a day is, with, is 1,000 years. And so technically, Christ has only been gone for a couple of days at this point in God's uh, timeline. But here's the fact of the matter. He is coming back, and the master, when he comes back, he's going to return soon. Now, again, soon is a relative term because we don't know. Jesus Christ could come back this afternoon before the 5 o'clock service. Jesus Christ could come back before I get to finish this message. Jesus Christ could come back 1,000 years from now. But Jesus Christ is coming, and he's coming soon, so get ready. And I think, again, I think this is practical. For me, I would much rather eat my dessert first because Christ could return before I finish my meal, right? Everybody should start their meal with ice cream and cookies and cake and eat the rest of the stuff later. This is why I don't eat green stuff because, uh, again, Jesus Christ is coming back soon. Not necessary. Now, that's funny, but you need to realize that Christ could come back before the end of the week. And you might say to yourself, well, I know that I'm ready. The question is, that's great for you. Are you sure that your neighbor is ready? Are you sure that the members of your family are ready? Are you sure that your coworkers are ready for Christ's return? And let me just pause for just a second. And if your answer to that is, well, I'm not really sure and I don't really care, that's ridiculously selfish of you. It grieves me that many churches in America will sing, when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. But they never stop to think for a split second about all the people who won't be there. And again, we have to have a balance. I'm thankful for the, the hope of heaven. I'm, I'm thankful for Christ's payment so that I can have eternal life. But I also need to be greatly concerned about the people who don't yet know Jesus and know that Jesus is coming back very soon. And if he does, they will not be ready. 
Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse number three, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am there you may be also. In John 14, 28, he says, you've heard now how I said unto you, I go away and I come unto you again. If you love me, you would rejoice because I said that I go unto my father. My father is greater than I. Jesus says, you guys should be really happy because I'm going to spend some time with the Father and when I'm done, I'm coming back to get you. And if you really are a child of mine, you would rejoice at that. And my goal today is at the end of today's message, you will look forward with eager anticipation for the return of Christ. Some of you might not be there right now, but we're gonna get there hopefully. That like, hey, if Jesus comes back, that's fine, but I'm, I'm not in a hurry. And again, I'm not in a hurry to see Jesus either. I got, I got a lot of people that need to know Jesus. But again, we need to have an eager expectation, the hope of the return of Christ, because Jesus can return at any moment. Now, I've seen people before who have a misunderstanding of the scriptures, and they'll say things like, well, Jesus can't return until, you know, every nation in the world has been evangelized, or every person on planet Earth has been evangelized. Hey, look, Jesus ain't waiting on nothing to return, okay? And there's nothing that has to be fulfilled that has not yet already been fulfilled that would prevent Christ's soon return. Again, Paul writes to Timothy, and he says, Timothy, in the last days, know this, men will be lovers of themselves and haters of God. In the last days. And here's what he tells Timothy. So separate yourself from those people in the last days. I believe that as Paul wrote to Timothy, he taught, thought that Timothy would see the return of Christ. And hey, if people were, were haters of God and lovers of men then, how much closer is the return of Christ now? So again, when we talk about the return of Christ at any moment, Matthew chapter 24, if you turn back um, probably one page to the left in your Bible, Matthew 24, verse number 42 Jesus says, watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the goodman of the house had known what watch the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be also ready, for in such an hour as you think not, the Son of Man cometh. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household, to give them meat in due season? Blessed is that servant whom when his Lord, when he cometh, shall find him so doing. Here's what Jesus says. If you knew that your house was going to be broken into at 3 o'clock in the morning, tomorrow morning, what would you do? You'd be waiting up with a baseball bat or a shotgun or a handgun or something ready to, to take care of what's happening. You'd be prepared. And Jesus says, by the same token... The Son of Man is not going to make an appointment for when he comes back. He's going to return as a thief in the night. So you need to always be ready. So just like thieves don't make an appointment, so you know what we do? We deadbolt our locks. We have a security system on our house. I have a 9mm handgun that's right beside my bed. We prepare because we need to be safe and secure. Because thieves don't make appointments. Jesus is not going to make an appointment for his return. So you need to be ready at all times. And this is a good time to just pull over to the side for just a second and say, anyone in the world that ever predicts a date and time of Christ's return is a liar, a heretic, and a false teacher. 
Because Jesus himself says, no man knows when the Lord returns. Nobody. Another passage of scripture, he says, even the son doesn't know. The father only knows the return of the son of man. So Jesus is coming back on the father's timetable. Nobody knows when that will be. Anybody who says otherwise is a liar. Every single uh, pro- uh, promised, a uh, predicted return of Christ has always failed 100% of the time. And usually when they do, they spawn cults from it as well. So take that for what it's worth. Return of Christ, Jesus will return when he is good and ready when the Father says that he can, okay? So whether that's this afternoon or a thousand years from now, let's be ready for his return. Now, What happens when he returns? Well, when the master returns, there will be a day of reckoning. When we talk about the day of reckoning, it's a day of accounting, where the master's going to pull out his spreadsheet and ask you to give an answer for what you've been given. I'm not a big investor or stock market guy. I put money in my uh, Roth IRA, which is invested in a handful of stocks and things like that. But on occasion, I like to pull up an app on my phone and take a look and see how my retirement account's doing. And basically, for the last six months, it's been doing absolutely terribly. Uh, But uh, that's neither here nor there. Uh, But uh, the fact of the matter is this. There's an accountability factor there. I can actually see what my money's doing and where it's going to be. By the same token... I don't have an app for it, but I should. I can take a look at my life and see how my heavenly account is doing. Because there's coming a day when I'll stand before God and he's going to pull everything out and ask me how things are going. There will be a day of accounting for all of us. Hebrews chapter 9, verse number 27 says this, It's appointed unto once to man to die, but after that, the judgment. Every single one of us is going to die one day. And the day you take your last breath here on planet Earth, you'll stand face to face with a holy God. And that is your day of accounting, accountability, your day of reckoning with your father or with God, the righteous judge. Totally up to you on which one he is on that day. It's important to understand that our eternal destination is not determined by how good we are. Our eternal destination is determined by who is paying for your sin. Some people think the day of reckoning or accounting will be this big scale that's up in heaven where your good is placed on one side and your bad on the other. And as long as your good outweighs the bad that you'll make it into heaven, friend, there's no scale up in heaven because the fact of the matter is there is none righteous, no, not one. If there were a scale in heaven, it would be tipped against you, not in your favor. Because you've broken God's law. And here's what the Bible says in the book of James. If any man offend in one point of the law, he's guilty of all of it. So whether you sin one teeny tiny time, or whether you're the worst sinner under the sun, every single one of us are in the same boat, guilty before God for our sin. Now, What's the consequences of our sin? The Bible's very clear. Romans chapter 3, verse number 23 says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 6, 23 says this, for the wages of sin is death. That's the consequence for our sin. That's what we owe. You say, well, that's not that bad. I mean, everybody's going to die one day. So what? No, no, that's not the end of the story. There's a physical death for every person. After that, there is a spiritual death, which is the payment for your sins. What that means is that when you and I die in our sin, we're held accountable 
for our sin. And the only way that you can pay is to be separated from God for all of eternity in a place called hell. Worst news ever. But that's what we deserve. I deserve hell because I've broken God's law. You deserve hell because you've broken God's law. And you might say, well, I've done some bad stuff in my life, but I don't think there's anything that I've done that would cause me to go to hell. That's the, where you misunderstand. If any man offended in one point of the law, he's guilty of all of it. We're automatically guilty before God, regardless of how big our sin is or is not. So that's what we deserve. But good news, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, God loves you and I so much that he did not want to leave us in our sin. And so he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross to pay for our sins. Romans chapter 5, verse number 8 says it this way, but God commendeth or demonstrates his love toward us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I was supposed to die, but Jesus died in my place. I was supposed to be punished for my sin, but Jesus was punished for me. I was supposed to endure the wrath of God, but Jesus endured the wrath of God for me so that he paid for my sin. But I had to make that decision for myself, and you've got to make that decision for yourself. Jesus' death upon the cross is not a blanket forgiveness for everyone who would ever live. It's a forgiveness only for those that believe and receive. You see, you have to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. You have to believe that He died to pay for your sins. You have to believe that He is the only way to heaven. And you must be willing to repent of your sin. That means seek God's forgiveness and turn from your sin to be saved. And friend, if there's never been a time in your life where you've been saved or born again, you are 100% responsible for your own sin. 100%. And that day of judgment will be the worst day you could ever possibly imagine. You see, the unsaved will be judged at the great white throne judgment. For those who die in their sin without Christ as their Savior, there's coming a day of judgment for them. This is their day of reckoning. This is their day of accountability. This is their day of settling up with God. Just as the parable of the talents, the servants had their talents, the master came back from his journey and he settled up with them. This is the day of settling for those that are not saved, the great white throne judgment. I love the Bible. The Bible is the word of God. The Bible is breathed out by God. That's what the Bible means when it says it's inspired, God breathed. I love every single bit of it cover to cover. There's some parts of it that I don't like though. There's some parts of the Bible that I wish weren't in there. There's some parts in the Bible that make me feel uncomfortable. And Revelation chapter 20 is one of those passages of scripture Revelation chapter 20, starting in verse number 11, says this, And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the, judge, the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. I don't like that. Reading that makes me feel uncomfortable. But the fact of the matter is, it is the word of God. 
And regardless of how much you and I might not like it, while there might be churches that refuse to preach that or talk about that, the Word of God stands. Those who die in their sin are in danger of God's wrath, judgment, and punishment in the second death. When the Bible says the wages of sin is death, it's not just a physical death. It's the second death, that the one that you should be fearful of. And the book of life is open. If your name is not found written in that book of life, the Bible says there's another book that will judge you according to your works. Every wrong th- thing you've ever done, every wrong thought you've ever had, every wrong thing you've ever said, all the things you were supposed to do that you didn't do, you will be held accountable for that on the day of judgment at the great white throne judgment. Friend, hell is real. The great white throne judgment is real. And that should stir something inside of us. There's people that I know that will one day stand at the great white throne judgment, and that terrifies me. There's people that I know and love that will one day stand before God and not have a place with God and be cast into the lake of fire. That should keep me up at night. That should cause me to pray and fast and seek God's face and Share the gospel more because it's real. The day of reckoning. For those of us that have been saved or born again, please understand you can't go to heaven without being saved. Jesus says in John chapter 3, verse number 3 No man shall see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. You know for sure that you're born again. Has there been a time, a day, a place in your life where you've received Christ as Savior? I'm not talking about. My family has always been Christian, or I have always been a Christian. Have you been saved? Have you been born again? Because if not, there's no other way to heaven. Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. Jesus says, I'm the only way to heaven. If your faith is not in me, your faith is misplaced. For me, I was a nine-year-old boy when I put my faith and trust in Jesus. I haven't been perfect since I was nine years old. I haven't been perfect since nine o'clock last night, probably. But here's the fact of the matter. I am forgiven. And know this, if you've been saved or born again, there's nothing anybody can ever do to take that away from you. There's nothing you could ever do to lose your salvation because you're a child of God. You've been adopted into the family of God and God doesn't disown his children for poor behavior. Now, make no bones about it, if you're living in rebellious sin against God, if you're continuing to go your own way and do your own thing, you're a rebellious, disobedient child, and God loves you enough to correct you and chastise you and make your life uncomfortable and maybe even at times painful to bring you back to a place of repentance and restoration. But friend, you can't lose your salvation. And so if you've been saved or born again, We praise God that we will never see the great white throne judgment, but that doesn't mean that there's not a day of reckoning for us. The saved will be judged at the judgment seat of Christ. Now, mind you, the judgment seat of Christ doesn't determine whether you and I go to heaven or hell. That's already determined before we ever enter into eternity. This is probably a good place to pull over for just a second, too, and and let you know that Bible-believing Christians know that when a person takes their last breath here on planet earth, their eternity is already settled. If they're saved, they're going to heaven. If they're not, they're going to hell. Done. Nothing anybody can do to change that. So we as Bible-believing Christians don't say things like, well, may his soul rest in peace. His soul is either in peace or torment, and there's nothing you and I can do or pray to change that. It is what it is. 
We don't say things like, may God have mercy on his soul. God either has mercy on his soul or God has wrath and judgment on his soul. We can't pray anything to change that. And so, again, it's important when, when people pass away, their eternity is already sealed. There's nothing we can do. We can't light candles or pray prayers or give money to a church to change any of that or say any prayers for the dead. Over, done with, settled. But for those of us that are Christians, we stand before the judgment seat of Christ. This, again, does not determine whether or not we go to heaven or hell. Only Christians will stand at the judgment seat of Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 10 says, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Now, the judgment seat of Christ is a time of reward or a time of loss of reward. Now, you might be saying to yourself, like, hey, I don't really need a reward in heaven. I'm not, it doesn't make a big deal to me. I don't need a, I don't need a mansion. I can just get a little, little shack on the side of the road somewhere. I don't need any crowns. I don't need any jewels. I don't need nothing. I just like, I'm thankful to just be there. Oh, please understand, these rewards are not for you. The rewards are a result of your entire life's work being offered to Christ as a sacrifice of your life. So when your entire life is boiled down to what's left, that's what you have to give to Jesus. Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse number 11. Further foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon his foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, or life will be revealed for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And this fire shall try every man's work, what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet as so by fire. So here's what it means. When you and I die and stand before God at the judgment seat of Christ, our entire life's work will be laid upon a fire. And there are two categories of the things that you did with your life. Things that mattered for eternity, things that did not matter for eternity. Those things will be placed upon a fire at the judgment seat of Christ. The things that did not matter for eternity are wood, hay, and stubble. And the moment that they meet the fire, boom, they're gone. The things that mattered for eternity... Gold, silver, precious stone, those things are left, and that's the reward that we receive of a life well lived. So, the things that you spend the bulk of your week doing, are they the things that matter for eternity or the things that don't matter for eternity? I spend time with my children, talking with them about their day, asking them what they read in their Bible, praying with them, talking about spiritual things over dinner. We would say, things that count for eternity. I spend time on the couch, checked out, scrolling my phone, answering emails that will not matter 10 years from now or 100 years from now. Wood, hay, stubble. So I gotta ask myself, am I investing in the things that matter? Because one of these days, there's gonna be a day of Reckoning. A day of accounting. I'll stand before God one day. My entire life's work will be revealed before God. Now, this is also important to note too. The day that you and I stand at the judgment seat of Christ, 
we will not answer for our sin. That should be a relief for you. There's not going to be a big screen where we scroll back all of your failures of life and you sit there with your head hung in shame. That's not this kind of judgment. You know why? Because if you're a child of God, your sin has already been judged. Your sin was already put on display. Your sin already had shame associated with it. You know where that was? It was at the cross of Jesus Christ. He who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You see, my sin was already put to death on the cross. My shame was already bore by Christ himself. When I get to heaven, I've got nothing to answer for as far as my sin is concerned. No punishment. But I will lose rewards. I will suffer a sense of loss knowing that I did not use my life well for the master. And so the Bible tells us at the end of your life, you'll stand before God and he's going to basically weigh out your life. And the only thing that mattered are the things that were done for eternity. (laughs) I joined the Navy right out of high school. Um, Me and my, my buddy signed up our uh, as a 17-year-old, my parents had to sign for me. I entered the delayed entry program, left in September 1995 for boot camp. And um, so six years in the Navy, it was great for me. I got out. Um, my wife and I started a computer training and consulting company here in town. We did that for probably three years. At 24 years old, I was making six figures. I owned my own business. was successful. If I didn't want to work, I didn't have to. If I wanted to go to work, I could. Uh, my son Vanderlei, when he was born, I remember I took two months off of work. I didn't even go into the office for two months because we could afford to do that financially. If we wanted something, we bought it. If we wanted a, a car, we bought it, paid cash for it. If we went on vacation, we went. We did. We wanted to get a new couch or dining room table. We just did it. Upgraded to, to a nicer house to, to live at in, in Kapolei. I mean, According to every metric of success, I felt like we were successful. But here's the thing that gnawed at me. It was really empty. It was fun for about six months, but after that, it wasn't fun anymore. You can only do so much with what the world has to offer before you find that there's no satisfaction in what the world has to offer. And I remember we were in church at the time, and I was really struggling trying to find my place and my purpose and things like that. And we were, we were doing good things for the kingdom with our money that God had given us. I mean, we were giving to missionaries and evangelists and uh, supporting causes and helping out people in our, in our congregation that were less fortunate. And uh, we tithe, we gave to missions and things along those lines. And we were trying to be good stewards of what God had given us. But it was just empty, really frustrating. And I remember hearing somebody came through and preached a message on the judgment seat of Christ. And he said this word, and it... it is seared into my conscience to this day. If I live to be 110, I'll never forget what he said. Some of you one day will stand before God at the judgment seat of Christ, embarrassed with how you wasted your life. And oh man, like I had a hard time catching my breath. My forehead broke out in a bead of sweat. My hands got all clammy. And I thought to myself, I've never heard the voice of God before, (laughs) but I have a feeling that's what it sounded like. And it was just like a finger to my chest. You're wasting your life. And I thought to myself, if I died right now in this very moment, I would stand before God empty-handed, embarrassed, ashamed with the fact that I'd live my life for myself. And I made a decision right then and there. I'm tired of living for this world. I just want to live for Jesus. 
And man, it was a lifestyle shift from that point. I went home, I talked with Angela about it. I was like, hey, I don't know what this means for us, but we can't continue to chase the things of this world and chase Christ at the same time. We gotta pick a side. We decided to follow after Jesus with every fiber of our beings. We left probably less than a year later, went to Bible college in California and served on staff at a church there for 10 years. But then again, we, we were serving on staff there at the church. We bought a house at the end of a cul-de-sac and a three-car garage and all of that stuff got very, very comfortable. And then I thought to myself, I don't want to live a comfortable Christian life because I don't want to stand before God one day saying, I found a really good gig and I was comfortable. And so we asked God to, to allow us to take it up a notch. And we came to, to Honolulu in 2013 and planted Huikala. And we continue to say, God, can you help us to maximize your glory? God, can you help us to build up treasure in heaven? because I don't want to live for what this world has to offer. Had a, a Facebook message this morning from Josh Lovegrove. He's our missionary to uh, the country of Ethiopia. He said, Pastor King, I want to let you know that we had our three-year anniversary of our church this morning in Ethiopia. Now, they had just left end of December. The Civil War had broken out and was coming near where their church was. They went back, Civil War still going on, they went back anyways because it's their people. Uh, and he said, we celebrated our three-year anniversaries of church today. He said, we had 275 people in church and 11 people accepted Christ as Savior. And I thought to myself, praise God. And he said, thank you guys for helping us buy chairs. He said, but we ran out of chairs and we gotta buy more chairs next week. I thought, praise God. And then I realized hey, wait a minute, 11 people heard the gospel today and got saved because I got to give to a missionary. Somebody sat in church and heard the gospel in a seat that I paid for. Like, how do I get more of that? How do I get in more on doing stuff that matters for the kingdom? Like, how do I invest to a greater degree to see people's life change come to Christ and eternity impacted. Like, like there's gonna be 11 people in heaven when you and I die one day because you were faithful in giving to missions and praying for missionaries. That's a big deal. That should motivate us to do more. Man, how can I get him? And here's the thought that I had about that too this morning. I, I got a lot of crazy thoughts in here. Just stick with me for a minute. But I thought to myself, I feel bad, badly for the people who didn't give to missions because they wanted to keep more for themselves. Not because they, they, they couldn't afford it or their budget was, was strapped or anything like that, because they just wanted to keep more for themselves so they didn't give at all to missions. <laughs> like what? You missed out on 11 people getting saved and people sitting in a chair and hearing the gospel because you wanted, like, what, more Panda Express this week? Like, really? The trade-off... Because, because, again, to deny yourself treasure in heaven, the only way that you can do that is if you're indulging in yourself in the treasure of this world. Man, I think of what God's done here at Who We Call Us since we started in October 2013. We've seen hundreds, over a thousand people accept Christ as Savior. We've seen hundreds of people baptized. Probably over 500 people have gone through our discipleship program and, and literally around the world today is somebody that's been touched by our ministry. Why? Because we're so great? No, just because we've been faithful. That's it. We've invested wisely what God's given us, and God's given us more. 
And you see, proper stewardship and righteous living allows God to trust us with more. Again, we see in verse number 21, the servant who had five talents and was given five more, man, the, the master said, wow, you've been faithful over a few things. I'm going to make you ruler over many things. Enter thou to the joy of thy Lord. Man, you've been so good with this, I'm going to give you so much more. And again, our church isn't perfect, but I believe we've, we've been faithful with what God's given us, and God's blessed us with more. Those of you that might not know the, the story of our church, who we call us started on the other side of that door where our children's ministry is, that used to be our main auditorium. And I remember walking through the space with some other pastors the very first time before we ever even signed a lease on the building. We were walking through that building, and one of the pastors who was there said, man, you could probably fit 80 people in here, but you'd never fill it up. He said, you should probably put some walls in there and some classrooms and make a Make an auditorium that's got 50 seats or less because you'll never fill that up and you don't want to embarrass yourself. And I remember myself like, wow, I mean, this, guy's, this is a pastor. I mean, he knows what he's talking about and I don't want to embarrass myself. And so, no lie, I got onto it. We didn't have the money to put up walls. I thought, we're just going to have to embarrass ourselves because we're broke. You know? <laughs> so just like, we didn't have the money to do it. I probably would have if we'd had the money, but we didn't. And you know, it's interesting, within 18 months, we were having two services over there. We could fit about 90 people in there. We were packing out two services on Sunday mornings. And we were just faithful with what God gave us. A little over four years ago, we moved into this space here, and, and we've continued to fill it up week after week. We've just been faithful with what God's given us. This past uh, Wednesday night, oh man, I'm bummed out because I, I missed it. I was in California preaching at uh, my Bible college uh, that I graduated from, West Coast Baptist College. On Wednesday, I preached in their chapel service. And so I missed this Wednesday night's uh, service. This past Wednesday night's service was the largest midweek gathering in the history of who we call a Baptist church. We had 201 people here. 201 people on a Wednesday night. Just for, for, to help you understand, prior to COVID, we would be lucky if we broke 100 on a Wednesday night. Like we have 62 people, I think, that are in discipleship right now. Right now, going through discipleship, that's a record for us. Every single one of our small groups has now become a medium group. <laughs> if you're on Wednesday night, you know what I'm talking about? Like, unbelievable. We're gonna have to start another small group probably in the next six to eight weeks. Well, we're full. Where are we gonna put it? Well, we put the teens out in the atrium. We're gonna have to put another small group out in the atrium. We'll get you a nice little canopy and put a sign out there for you. Uh, but <laughs> like, well, what do we do? We're just trying to be faithful with what we got. We can't stop what God's doing. We can't put the brakes on it. We can't dial it back. Okay, uh, don't come to your small group this week because we don't have any room for you. No, we're going to crank it up to 11 and keep pushing forward. Why? Because there's coming a day of accountability. I don't want God to say, well, you kind of squandered what I gave you. So as we honor the Lord, honoring God allows him to give us more to invest for the kingdom. You got five talents, you got five more, great. You've been faithful over a few things, I'm gonna make you ruler over many, great. Keep up the good work. I, I, I can tell you for a fact that's applied to our church. We've never in the history of our church ever seen big, huge, massive growth of 50 to 60 people a month, ever. It's always been 10 here, five there, two here. Oh yeah, we'll lose 60 this summer but then we'll gain 20 more. You know, it's just been faithful, consistent growth that God's given us. You know why? I believe because he's just been faithful. 
We try to go out every single week of the world and pass out invitations to, to our church services. We get some beautiful Easter invites I'm gonna give you to hand out this week. Somebody asked me a few weeks ago, do you think the best, the most effective means of reaching people is by passing those cards out? Probably not, just to be honest. But the Bible says, go ye therefore into all the world, and so we're just gonna keep going. It's gonna be faithful. And here's the thing. People have come because we passed that invitation. People come because you, you hand them one out at work. No lie, somebody came two years ago to Easter, and they said, uh, I said, how'd you hear about our church service? He's like, oh, somebody left one of these on my door. And I looked at it, I said, where did you get this? He said, it was on my front door. I said, when? They go, I don't remember why. This invitation is two years old. <laughs> oh, I just found it on my door. How did you get an invitation on your front door from two years ago? I don't know. Like, I'm, I'm confused. Just, just sit down. We'll figure it out later. Right? <laughs> but like, what is it? We're just faithfully sowing seed and the, the master's going to bring forth the increase. All we got to do is be faithful in sowing seed. But as we are faithful, God can give us more. But here's the thing. If you're not faithful, you know what happens? The master takes what you have and gives it to somebody else fact. We've seen people come to our church services because their church is closed. We see people come to our church services because their church, after two years, is still meeting online only. I don't understand that. It just doesn't make sense to me. We either have to gather together at Jesus' church or we don't. But look, if you're not going to be faithful with it, we'll take it. There's a church right up here on, on uh, Pensacola Street. Worship services suspended for two years. I don't know about you, but when you close the church for two years, I don't think you're coming back. It's just my thoughts. But we just got to be faithful to what God's given us, and God will give us more. But when we waste our life, it dishonors God and squanders his blessings. Again, one of my greatest fears in my 20s and one of my greatest fears in my 40s is that I would waste my life. That day of reckoning where I stand before God, I want to do it with excitement, with anticipation. I want to look forward to that day. I don't want to dread it in any way. And the Bible says that when your master comes, he wants to find those that are faithfully doing what he told them to do. I've often thought about before, if Christ were to return in my lifetime, what would I be doing? Would I be sitting on the couch flipping through trying to find something to watch on TV? Would I be mindlessly scrolling on my phone? Would I be doing something that didn't matter? Or would he find me spending time with my kids, talking with my wife before bedtime, praying with my wife before bedtime? Would he find me reading the Bible? Would he find me sending a text message to someone and asking them how their walk with God's been this week? We find me writing a note of encouragement to somebody. I don't know, but I hope I'd be found faithful. I hope you wouldn't find me in sin. And friend, if there's sin in your life, you don't want to be caught up with that when Jesus returns. You want to make sure you get a clean slate with him. But I want, I want to be found faithful when Jesus returns. Take a look at verse number 26. Actually, back up to verse 24. The show rise, uh, no, verse, uh, chapter 25, verse 24. Matthew 25, 24. 
that he which had it received, the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew thee that thou art a hard man, reaping where thou hast not sown and gathering where thou hast not strawed. And I was afraid. Stop there for just a second and realize that this unfaithful servant buried what he had because he was scared. Just know this. Fear is the opposite of hope. It's the opposite. Can, can you imagine? Think about this. The master's gone and gave you five talents, and you got ten now. Like, what's up? Right? And you hear, hey, the master's coming back. You're like, oh, man, I can't wait. He, he's going to be so pumped because I started with five, now I got ten. Like, I can't wait to tell him. How exciting is that going to be? Hey, I only had two, but I got two more. Like, I can't wait for the master to come back because he's going to be so pumped when he sees what I did with this. But you're the guy that buried it. And it's like, whew, I'm glad the master's back because, uh, man, that one that I had, I buried it because I was scared I was chicken, and so I, I didn't do anything with it. And the master was not pleased. He said, I was afraid, verse 25, and went and hid thy talent in the earth, lo, there thou hast is thine. Verse 26 should echo in the depths of your soul if you find yourself as a one-talent Christian who's buried what you got. The Lord answered and said unto him, Thou wicked and slothful servant. He didn't just say, Oh, man, that's a bummer. Why'd you do that for? He didn't just say, like, Oh, you must have missed the class on Investing 101. Man, bummer for you. Oh, that's too bad. No worries. We'll get him next time, buddy. Mm -mm. You wicked and slothful servant. You just wasted what you had. And so many times Christians take what God's given them and they waste them on self. Oh yeah, God's blessed me with a good job, but that's so that I can advance my career and make myself more money and take care of me and take care of my family and buy nice things and, and have nice stuff. And let me just tell you this, God isn't against you having nice stuff, okay? But I will tell you this, God is against you having nice stuff at the expense of the kingdom. That's a fact, And so I take these things that God had given me for the kingdom and I use them for myself to advance myself, to make myself comfortable, but I don't use them for the kingdom. Two words, wicked, slothful. Word wicked, corrupt, slothful, lazy, sluggard. Wow, it's heavy. Yeah, that's how God feels about those who waste kingdom resources on their self. Man, I don't know about you, but that's heavy. I don't want to stand before the Lord one day and going like, hold up, Anthony. I gave you all this stuff, and this is what you got to show for it? Oh, man, well, you know, I know that I didn't get a lot, so I didn't really know how to use it. Man, sh shut it, you wicked and slothful servant. I don't want that to be me. And here's the thing, I don't want that to be you. And so I want you to think about how we invest for the kingdom. See, living with an eternal mindset sets us up for eternal rewards. I got an email from our missionary to Nigeria, Garen Patrick, this past week. He's telling me about how he's been traveling around different areas of Nigeria, had the opportunity to preach in churches and encourage men who are going to be pastors and 
Him and another guy are starting a YouTube channel where they can help train pastors in Nigeria. And I thought to myself, I'm glad I get in on that. That's awesome. He's able to do that because we give, because we pray. He's able to do that because he had a kingdom mindset. If you haven't, on our Who We Call app down at the bottom, there's a missions button. And I uploaded this past uh, week a couple of new updates from our missionaries that we support. But <laughs> if you get a chance to, to watch the conversation that I had with, with Garen and his wife, uh, Annalise, talking about Nigeria. Man, his wife, Annalise, uh, Garen is a, a, a light-skinned uh, African-American dude. His wife is like whiter than sour cream, Right? And I mean, can you imagine going to a place like Nigeria, like white, white? I'm thankful that she didn't have a worldly mindset, but instead she had an eternal mindset. She's not thinking to herself, like, what will people think about me? I'll stick out like a sore thumb. It might be awkward for me, or how will I make friends here? And she's like, hey, people here need to know about Jesus. Like, I'm all in. Like, how do I get, how do I get more? And so they just went. You and I have to have an eternal mindset. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse number 19, Lay not out for yourself treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt, where thieves break through and steal, but lay out for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through or steal. You see, everything in this world one day will rust and corrupt and burn. Everything. Man, I remember the very first time I sat in one of the Tesla SUVs had like the gull wing doors that open up to the side. Like you push a button, it's just like, I was like, ooh, that's cool. And you get inside, it's got all glass up there and got a big like touch screen in the front and shows you everything. That camera's all around that you can watch everything and like, it like drives itself. It's just like, what? This is crazy. And I thought to myself like, ooh, I could totally see myself driving one of these, right? And then I began to picture myself driving a Tesla. Ooh, impressive. We went to, to L.A. last week. No lie. Every third car there is a Tesla, I believe. Got to shout it out. Like, you'd be more impressed to see like a Volkswagen bug than you would a Tesla there, right? <laughs> and it's just like there are a, a dime a dozen. And you know what? It's not impressive. You look at that and you're just like, oh, wow, another Tesla. Is it white? Is it black? Is it silver? Ooh, another Tesla. Wow. You know Why? Because the things of this world are only shiny for a brief period of time, aren't they? And then they lose their luster. That thing you were chasing after 10 years ago, you're not chasing after it anymore because you already got something, you already got that, discarded it and got something else and there's something else you want now. That's why Jesus says, don't lay up for yourself treasure here on, on earth. Lay up for yourself treasures in heaven because those never lose their luster. Look, I would much rather you be earthly poor and heavenly rich than do you to be earthly rich and heavenly poor. Many people would rather choose the latter. I want to enjoy what this world has to offer and then one of these days I'll get to heaven by the skin of my teeth. No, no, no. We get to heaven and I want stuff there when I get there. I want people in heaven because I made a difference. I want people to accept Christ as Savior and be in heaven one day because I shared the gospel with them. Because I prayed for them. I want people that were saved that I never met before there in heaven because I gave. I want people in Honolulu to be in heaven because I gave. 
Like, I, I, I get the tithe. I don't have to tithe. I get the tithe. I don't have to give to missions. I get to give to missions. I don't have to come to church. I get to worship with some of the finest Christians I've ever met in my entire life. Not like, oh, I guess I got to go to church and then I can have the afternoon to myself. That's not an eternal mindset. Come on. I want to prepare you for the day that you see your father face to face. So three final thoughts and we're done. First of all, focus less on what matters this week and more on what matters 100 years from now. You get caught up in what's taking place over the next 30, 60, 90 days and you forget about what's happening 100 years from now. You say, well, I'm not going to be alive in 100 years from now. Exactly. Precisely. That's what I'm talking about. What are you leaving behind that actually matters? Look, when we planted Huikala, we planted this church with the intention of building something that would outlast us. That by the grace of God, after every single person in this room is dead and gone, this pulpit will still be used to declare the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Long after I'm gone and you are too. That's the idea, by the grace of God. But let me tell you this, that won't happen if you and I don't steward God's blessings well. To stewardship. But by the grace of God, you and I will have something to celebrate when we get to heaven one day of lives changed and people impacted because of the way that we invest in our lives. By the grace of God, when we're old and on our deathbed, we'll be able to tell our grandkids and our great-grandkids about being a part of a mighty move of God in the middle of a city, in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, where people said it couldn't be done, where churches failed left and right, but we saw God move in a way that impacted us for eternity. And boys and girls, grandpa's going to see Jesus, and I'll see you when I get there, but I got a lot of folks and a lot of stuff waiting for me when I get there. That's how I want to go. But that requires that we focus on things that matter 100 years from now instead of things that focus right now. That means I've got to change my thinking from what do I want now to what do I want one day when I see Jesus face to face. You know, for me, I told you when Angela and I first got married, we were very short-sighted in our finances. It required us to have a paradigm shift when it came to looking at our finances. And we, a friend, one of the dearest friends that I have in the entire world, Mark Jones Jr., God used him to give me a book called The Total Money Makeover by Dave Ramsey. Man, I devoured that book, and it changed my life forever. But one phrase stuck with me, and it's a Dave Ramseyism. It says, if you're willing to live like nobody else, one day you can live like nobody else. And the idea was this. If you're willing to make short-term sacrifice, you get the long-term payoff. And if you're willing to say, I'm going to set aside my own fleshly, worldly desires to pursue Christ, one of these days when you see your Savior face-to-face should be like, yeah, this is what I was waiting for. I want to encourage you to prepare yourself and others to meet Jesus in joy, not judgment. You might be here today and you don't know for sure that you're saved. Be saved today. You don't want to meet God at the great white throne judgment, cast into hell for all of eternity. You don't want that. I don't want that. So, Put your faith and trust in Christ today. Be saved. But there's people that I know and love that are going to wind up at the great white throne judgment. Let it not be that they wound up there because they didn't know any better. 
how shameful that people you and I know would one day stand at the great white throne judgment saying like, nobody ever told me. I mean, I worked with a dude who supposedly was a devout Christian and I didn't know this stuff. I lived down the street with, from a small group leader and I didn't know this. One of the ladies is like one of the leaders at the church and she never told me that. God forbid that anybody that you and I know and love would stand at the judgment seat of Christ, or at the great white throne judgment because they didn't know better. Let them stand at the judgment seat of Christ because they rejected the gospel, but not because we didn't care enough to tell them. Again, we have to have a burden in the depths of our soul for people who don't know Jesus. I grew up in a church where we used to sing songs like, when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. And when we all get to heaven, and I'm thankful for happy songs about heaven, we can praise God for that. But please, let's not sing those songs if we're going to allow the rest of the world to die and go to hell and not care. It's selfish, it's arrogant to say, well, at least I'm going to heaven. I don't care about anybody else. No, no, no. Jesus Christ could come back this afternoon. I want to let every person under the sun know what he's done for them. I want to have a burden for that. Final thought, prepare to meet Jesus with joy and not regret on how you live your life. Angela and I made a decision over two decades ago. We're going to live every single day like it's our last. We're going to live with eternity in mind. Haven't been perfect, but we've been eyes fixed upon Jesus. And I think at least once a week, the mindset's already there, so now it's just a matter of consistency, but I think at least once a week, the day that I get to see Jesus, man, what a day that's going to be. When we sing songs about it sometimes, what a day that will be, when my Jesus I shall see, I will look upon his face, one who saved me by his grace, when he takes me by the hand, leads me through the promised land, what a day, glorious day that will be. But then I think to myself, really, like, I get to see Jesus, I get to stand before my Father, and I want to be able to do it with joy, like, yes! This is what I've been waiting for. This is what I've prepared my whole life for. This is what every single day has led up to. And Father, I have not been perfect, but I am so delighted to see you. Like, take my life, put it on that fire because I want to see what's left. I can't wait because I've been living for this day. Yes. I don't want to have the mindset that I had when I was 25. I was standing there with my head down and my hands in my pockets and nothing to show. I'm really sorry I, I wasted it. <laughs> you know, I don't want that. And I don't want it for you. So maybe there's some things that you need to change. Maybe there's some sin you need to repent of. Maybe there's a mindset that you need to repent of. Maybe there's some people you know that need to hear about Jesus and you got to figure out how to get Jesus to them. I'm thankful that coming up on March 12th, we have an evangelism class, training class here called Sharing Jesus where I'm going to teach you how to share the gospel with people and get people to Jesus. But let's not have any more excuses of I was afraid, and so I hid my talent. No, no, no. And if you've buried your talent, today's the day to dig it up and get back at it. Because there's coming a day of accounting, and that should bring hope for you, not discouragement.
I want you to think about the day that you get to see Jesus face to face and the awesomeness of that day, not the embarrassment of the day. But that requires that you're living a, well, a life well lived in obedience and righteousness and holiness. Most important thing in the world, if you're here today and you don't know for sure that you're saved, you will not meet God in joy. You will meet him in judgment. Worst day ever for you. So today, come to Jesus. He's willing to forgive you of all of your sin. He's willing to adopt you into to God's family. All you have to do is believe and receive and put your faith in Christ and turn from your sin. Best decision ever. But for those of us that are Christians, hey, this week, we have seven days to live for eternity and seven more days after that until Christ returns soon. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.